this wake, um, so many people that I didn't know would come up to me and tell me little stories about my grandfather, uh, of how he went out of his way to help, to serve them. And uh, it was the largest funeral procession that I've ever seen in my whole life. It took forever for us to get to the cemetery. Um, made me very, very proud to be his grandson. He never talked about himself, always was concerned with other people. That's Papa. His father, we actually have a picture of his father. This is Michelangelo Miranda. He's a good looking man, right? That's Michelangelo Miranda. Uh, you know what I know about Michelangelo? He lived in Calabria, moved his family to Boston back in the 1930s, and he had a job paving the streets of Boston. That's about as much as I know about him. I never met him in person. His father, we don't have a picture of, because I don't know, I, I've never seen a picture, but his father, get this name, Gun Batista. I promise you that was his name, Gun Batista Miranda. My great, great grandfather, Gun Batista. That's a good name. And you know what I know about him? Uh, he lived in Calabria. His wife's name was Carmela. And he had at least one son named Michelangelo. That's basically all I know about him. All of the joys, all of the sorrows, his favorite food, which I assume was probably meatballs, but <laughs> who knows? But I don't know any of that. He's just a name to me. And, and someday, my great-great-grandchildren will just know me by a name, basically. I'll just be a name. They'll know basically about as much about me as I know about Gun Batista until they don't even know that because I don't know what Gun Batista's father's name was. I assume he had one. But thinking about and putting things in perspective like this helps us sort out our priorities, doesn't it? What is your name associated with? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? When people hear your name, what do you want them to think of? We're all incredibly busy people, but are we busy with things that are worth being busy with? So this summer we're reading the Proverbs together, um, and if you haven't, uh, every day is a new day. We've been together. We've been reading a proverb a day. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There are 31 days in July and 31 days in August. So whatever date is on the calendar, you just read that chapter of scripture in the Proverbs. Take something from it. Write it down maybe. Um, it's not a book of narrative. So it's not like you need to read the previous chapter in order to get into, to, to figure out where you are. So whatever day, if you've missed a day, if you've missed a week, Jump in whatever today's date is, tomorrow's date is. But we're looking at Proverbs. And so this morning, I want to take a look at two Proverbs in particular. And I chose these two out of probably dozens that I could have chosen that kind of deal with the same theme. Proverbs 22.1 and Proverbs 10.7. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. In 10.7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked 
will rot. What's it mean to have a good name? Like Michelangelo is a good name. Gun Batista is a good name. But that's not what the author is talking about, right? What's it mean to have a good name? I asked my, my kids this, this week around the dinner table, uh, what do you think this, this proverb means? What, what's it mean to have a good name? And my daughter, is, she's brilliant, um, but she was saying like, well, you named me Zoe because it means eternal life in Greek. And you named Evangeline Evangeline because it means like bringer of good news. And, and well, you ne- named Levi after the Levites and they were kind of the priests, but it just kind of means attached. And I was like, you know what, you're right. And, and um, in, in scripture, a lot of times there are very significant meanings of people's name. You think of uh, Jacob in, in the book of Genesis. Jacob's name uh, means deceiver. And then he wrestles with God and he's broken by God in a good way. And he's renamed Israel, which means struggle. Uh, there's a lot behind a name. But basically, in, in really, what we're talking about, when the proverb says a good name, that's your reputation. That's who you are. That's like, and there's like a visceral reaction when you hear somebody's name, right? There's like this, it's, it's an, it can convey an emotional response. It's the phonetic sounding of your entire being. All of who you are put into a sound. That's your name. And, and I, as you're trying to name your children, it, you go through this whole, it's, the, it's a weird responsibility. And I read a tweet one time, I loved it. Um, it was basically, the, the tweet said, like, the, the, the best thing about trying to name your kid is realizing how many people you hate. Because it's like you're sitting there with your significant other and you're like, uh, how, about, how about Mandy? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. No, I knew, a, I knew a girl named Mandy back in college and there is no way I'm naming my child after her. I mean, I haven't thought about her in like 12 years, but no, not, no, no, no. Like it, it's a, it's a, there's a, there's a visceral, there's a visceral reaction to it. And the Proverbs are telling us that according to God, your reputation, your name Who you are is much more important than what you do. Much more important than the wealth that you have. Much more important than your job title. Who you are. A plumber who has a good reputation and is kind and loves other people is far more significant in God's kingdom than a CEO who hates people. What's your priority? Because as you go through this world, you will be given chances to compromise. Are you prepared for that? How is your life going to impact the people who are around you? How are your great-grandkids going to remember you? What kind of stories will they tell at your funeral? The memory of of the righteous man is a blessing. A quick story, I, I recently found out that uh, one of my great uncles, who I've seen like three times in my life, um, owns a, uh, a sandwich shop down in Carver, Mass, um, called the Berry Guys. And uh, Uncle Tony, uh, I, like I said, I've met him like three times. But Uncle Tony owns this sandwich shop, and I told my in-laws about it uh, because they live down in that direction. So they went in there to, uh, to, 
check it out. And uh, they got to talking with the woman behind the counter and they mentioned that their daughter married a Mirando and that they knew my grandfather before he had passed away. And this woman was like, oh my goodness, Uncle Al, he was the best. And just kind of swapping some stories and then refused to take their money because they were associated with me and I'm associated with Papa. A good name is a blessing. Take a look at the screen. Uh, there's going to be a chart right up here on the screen. You can see right here, this is the popularity of a particular name over time. And I'll kind of help you. You can see back in the 1880s, it was very, very popular. And then, you know, through the early 1900s, it was pretty steady. And then something seems to have happened in the late 1930s, early 1940s, that basically caused this name to go extinct. Any guesses as to what this name is? It's Adolf, of course. Because of the reputation of one sick Austrian man, one maniac has caused an entire name to go extinct. And it's a shame because Adolf is actually a good name. You know what it means? It means noble wolf. It's a strong name. But one sick Austrian man caused that name to go extinct because of his reputation. Take a look at this next one. So here's a different name. And you can see that it was, you know, it was, it was pretty steady. But something happened around that same time period in which it shot up in popularity. And then it kind of started to dip, and then early 1950s, it shot up again. Any guesses as to what that name is? It's Dwight. After Dwight Eisenhower, the general of the American army in Europe, later president of the United States. He had a good name, and he had a good reputation, and people wanted to name their children after him. But do you know what Dwight means? It means white. It means blonde. Given the choice, if you could be given a nickname and your nickname is either Noble Wolf or Blonde, which would you choose? I mean, come on. It's Noble Wolf all day, but if somebody was going to call you Adolf or Dwight, you go with Dwight, even though that's associated with Dwight Schrute. <laughs> but if you look even further, now the popularity of the name Dwight today is about the same 70 years later as Adolf. It's about the same because his, his Dwight Eisenhower's uh, it, it, not as much in our consciousness as he once was 70 years ago. But the impact that he made on the world lives on. Especially considering I'm, I'm speaking to you in English and not German right now. So let's change gears and kind of talk about how this actually applies to you and applies to me. Turn your attention to the screen for a second. We're going to watch a quick video and then I'll come right back up. If you really want to understand what people think the world is, ask them what they think the world is made of. What is it actually made of? Is it made out of goop? Is it made out of chaos? Is it made out of hydrogen? What is it made from? If you look at the truck, it's like, okay, so this is, this is steel. What's it made, what's the steel made from? What's it made out of? And you say, well, we dug it out of the earth and we 
melted it down and we created steel from iron and, and so on. Go beyond the molecular level, go to the atomic level. What are the atoms made of? Electrons, protons. Nuclei, one per atom, please. What's the nucleus made of? What's the electron made of? And they'll tell you, well, there's up quarks and there's down quarks. There's leptons and there's elementary particles. What are those? What are they made of? Have you ever seen one? And the answer is no, they, they haven't seen one. No evolutionist, no Darwinist, no total secular atheist can answer this question. What's it made of? The answer in the end is nothing. We're not Buddhists that, you know, think that there's no real reality, it's all illusion. The, the miracle, the magic of it is that it's, it's real. That hurt. I can, I can hurt myself on this stuff. This is tangible stuff, spoken, and now it's here. A lot of Christians wonder why God isn't present anymore. Where is he? Where is he gone? And the answer is, he's, he's right here, he's talking. Because if he wasn't, this truck, this uh, sturdy old truck, wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. With the power of his, well, dare I say it, magic, it's here, and it's all spoken. And you want to know if he's still around? You want to know if he's still talking? He's not speaking in English, which is what we want him to do. Please, God, tell me what to do for lunch today. He won't. He'll tell you something like two hot dogs and a Coke for $1.99 from nothing over there. You get all this talking, constant talking. You've got a squirrel in the road getting run over. You're saying, what do I do on my test? Am I going to pass this test? And he says, squirrel and really quiet car. The end. You know, another little narrative that, that goes on around you. And we ignore it all. We just walk through with our heads down, pretending like it's not really here, wondering, where's God? It's like, I don't know. Maybe he's, you know, spinning a sphere through space at Mach 86, caring about you while you're actually going about your business. Once you actually understand that the world is spoken, once you understand that this is a word, that I am a word, that you are a word, that this entire world is a swirl of story, you have to then ask yourself what kind of character you are. Which character are you? Who are you? Are you the guy who's there just to make the actual hero look good? Are you the guy who's there just to, to die as a morality tale, as a lesson, a cautionary tale for other people? And you might not be one of the real villains. You might not be a lecherous youth pastor or an unfaithful husband. You might not be egregiously bad, but you might be well, you are something. You are the backstabbing friend. You are the, the irritable dad. You are the horrible boyfriend. You are the gossip of a girlfriend. You are a complainer. You are a whiner. You are someone. And you are someone that you would probably not actually like if you saw them on screen. You probably wouldn't actually like that character if you read that character as described by a master novelist in a book. Think about the story. The, the story exists. Trials come. Minor trials and macro trials. Kids spill milk. Do you snap at them? Do you lose it? Your pipes freeze. Your girlfriend leaves you. Who are you in that story? We always assume we are sympathetic. We assume that we have our own soundtracks, that we exist in some sort of indie hipster film that's about us and our idiosyncrasies and makes us sort of quirky and lovable. That's not what's going on. You might not be the star. We should be laughing because God's laughing. We should be sacrificing ourselves because God sacrifices his own son. We should be like him. We should be those characters. You know your thoughts. You know your temptations. You hide them from everybody else, but they're real, and those are part of your character. Deal with those. Become a more interesting character. Become a character that's not bored and therefore not boring in this world. So... That's a man named N.D. Wilson who's written a couple of books. 
and he has a great quote. Life is a story. Why do we die? Because we live. Why do we live? Because our maker opened his mouth and began to tell a story. What character are you in the story? What is your story about? What is, the what, what is your reputation? What is your character's reputation? What's your character's motivations? What is your character's passions? What gets you going? What gets you excited? What makes you angry? What character do you want to be? What are you doing right now to bridge the gap between the character that you are and the character that you desire to be? Because the Westminster Catechism says that the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's beautiful and true, but it's trite if you don't actually try to put your money where your mouth is and figure out why, where is God having you glorify Him and how can you enjoy Him. What are your priorities? Really? What gets the bulk of your time and attention? Are you living according to God's standards or are you living according to what's right in your own eyes? Do you even understand or know what God's standards are? They're right there. They're, they're for you in the Bible. Are you trying to make much of yourself and to build as much for yourself, for your own little kingdom, or are you trying to make much of Jesus? Because you as a character, you as somebody who's been breathed out by God, God created everything out of nothing, ex nihilo. He breathed creation and he is continuing to create and sustain all things. You are uniquely designed. You are uniquely crafted by that God the greatest storyteller imaginable. How is your character going to be remembered when the author writes you out? So you don't have to know what comes next in the story. You don't even have to know how the story ends. You know the, you know the reputation of the author. And he is always only good. So as we kind of come to a close here this morning, there are two things that I want you to do in order to become a more fruitful, more interesting character. More fruitful, more interesting person. More useful for God and the kingdom. The first thing is to know the story. If you're gonna be in the story, you might as well understand what it is. Like, is this the story that you understand of Christianity? Jesus died for me so that I can go to heaven when I die. No, that's not the story at all. That's a terrible story, that's a boring story. Give God a little bit more credit than that. Like, all right, here's the story. Chapter one, give your life to Jesus. Chapter two, try not to sin too much. Chapter three, wait to die. That's a boring story. God is a much better storyteller than that. How about this? How about this for a story? God looks down upon a world that he created and loved and has rejected him and decided to do things their own way. And he sends his own son on a covert operation, on a recon mission, going into enemy territory, 
in order to rescue his enemies. To allow them to kill him. And while they're doing that, to take their sin on him. To remove it as far as the east is from the west. To take the penalty that they, are, that they deserve and taking it upon himself in order to rescue them. Now we're on to something. Now we have a little bit of something to work with. This is something I can get into. All right, chapter 2. Then he rises again from the dead, walks out of the grave. What? He conquers death. And then, wait, it gets even better. He sends his Holy Spirit into his people so that we can then go into enemy territory and we can invite everybody to know the one who saved us. That's a better story. That's something I can get behind. That's something I can give my life to. I want to read you another quote by N.D. Wilson from a book called Death by Living. I cannot recommend that book enough. Clear your throat and open your eyes. You are on a stage. The lights are on. It's only natural if you're sweating because this isn't make-believe. This is theater for keeps. Yes, it's a massive stage, and there are millions of others on stage with you. Yes, you can try to shake the fright by blending in, but it won't work. You have the Creator God's full attention, as much attention as he ever gave Napoleon, or Churchill, or even Moses, or billions of others who lived and died unknown, or a grain of sand, or one spike on one snowflake. You are spoken. You are seen. It's your turn to participate in creation. It's your turn to participate in creation. Like a kindergartner shoved out from behind the curtain during his first play. You might not know which scene you're in or what comes next, but God is far less patronizing than we are. You are his art, and he has no trouble stooping. You can even ask him for your lines. I love that. God is a storyteller. And he's telling 10 billion trillion stories every second of every day. And they all point back to him in some way, shape, or form. They all point back to his love, his mercy, his justice, something, some aspect of who he is. You need to know the story in order to understand where your character fits into that story. The second thing that I, that I need for you guys to do in order to make your character meaningful, to make your life more full of joy, is to know the author. Know the story, but know the author. God is always only good, but he is never boring. He is never boring, and he is always only good, but he is never predictable. Jesus healed a bunch of people from blindness. He never did it the same way twice. You can't box him in. He's not predictable. He will stay within his nature, which is good, which is, which is his steadfast love endures forever. But he is, like, you're not going to be able to figure out what he's doing until he tells you. 
Because all good stories have trials. All good stories have challenges and victories and defeats and setbacks and, and wins. That's a good story. You don't have to know what the next page says if you know the reputation of the author. Because the more you know him, the more you will love him. And the more you love him, the more you can trust him. The more you trust him, the more interesting you'll let your story become. The more you get to know the author, the more you get to know God through his word, through prayer, the more you get to know him. You can't help if your heart has been set free but to love him more. And the more that you love him, the more you see that he is good, the more you can trust him. And the more that you trust him, the more interesting you are going to allow your life to become. Allow your life to, to be, allow the storyteller to, to tell a more interesting story through you. And get to know him. Get to trust him. And as he uses you through victories and defeats and challenges and wins, as you see that again and again, he becomes, it just becomes more joyful. Not happy necessarily, but joyful. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. In Proverbs 10.7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. As we close, let me just say this. This, this particular parable is a little bit hard. I mean, it's simple, but it's hard because you'll never get a good name by trying to get a good name. It's subversive. You get a good name by forgetting about yourself and focusing more on other people. You get a good name by listening to Jesus in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you get a good name, not by focusing on trying to get a good name. And Christian, do you realize what name you already have? Do you realize who you're associated with? Just like my in-laws got a free sandwich because they were in some way associated with my grandfather, you are associated with Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. This is what we are to be as a church which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Through humbling ourselves, we will be exalted. By looking at Jesus and others, we will be exalted. What is his reputation? What is Jesus' reputation in your neighborhood, in your family, in your sphere of influence? 
What is Jesus' reputation in your sphere of influence? How about the church, his bride? What is the church's rep, uh, reputation in your community, in your workplace, in your family? What are we going to do about it? I'll close with this. You want to talk about a good name? Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. That's a good name. He was an influential Christian leader in the 18th century or 19th century. Uh, his advice to Christians is this. Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I love that. Takes the pressure off. What are you to be about? To preach the gospel. You're about Jesus. The irony, of course, is that we remember, the, it's a pretty famous quote, like we, we remember the name of Count Nicholas uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf, even though that wasn't his intention. The irony is that his name lives on because he wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He was trying to make a name for Jesus Christ. How are my great-great-grandkids going to remember me? I could care less. I don't care if they remember my name. As long as they know the name of Jesus, I don't care if they remember Kevin Miranda. And I will go to my grave exhausted and grateful in order to ensure that that happens, in order to ensure that the city that they inherit looks more like the kingdom of God than it does right now. What about you? Let's pray. Father, you are always only good. Father, you are worthy of all praise. Father, you are worthy of all honor. God, we come before you and confess that our actions don't align with our beliefs so often. But Father, you have given us your Holy Spirit. And it's the same Holy Spirit that empowered the early church to go forth in boldness, proclaiming the good news, in fear of, of imprisonment and in fear of death, in danger of those things, but, but bold and counting it as a joy to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Father, we want you more than anything else. Our time here is short. We are not guaranteed tomorrow and we are not guaranteed to live on into eternity as our name, but we are guaranteed eternal life through Jesus Christ. A life full of bliss, a life full of worship, a life of being set free from our sin nature completely, a life fixated on the glory of Jesus. That is our heart. That is our desire. God, would you work in us in order that this thing that you're doing here in the city of Boston right now, this attention that is being paid to the, the growth of the church in the city of Boston, 
is not just a momentary blip, but God, that it would just be the beginning of something even more amazing than we could think of. Father, we entrust it to you. Use us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.